Bible says. Now, Pharaoh, in dealing with the nation of Israel, Moses has done stuff. Moses ran away. Okay? And the scriptures now says, in verse 23, it came to pass in the process of time. Now understand this. That the king of Egypt died. That's the Pharaoh there died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage and they cried. And their cry came up on to God. Now what had happened was when the king of Egypt died, somewhere else it tells us that a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph arose in his stead. We'll see that. So these, the pharaohs that were there, which means for all those hundreds of years after Joseph, the kings had respect to what Joseph did and treated the nation of Israel with respect. And they treated them as people, all right, through whom the wealth came into their land. You remember that, you know, the children of Israel had come in and, 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 and Joseph had given them, the, I mean, children of Israel were, were from the 12 sons of Jacob. He had given them lands, he had done everything, treated them. And every other Pharaoh that came in honored that covenant. Now, this particular king of Egypt, all right, died. And a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph came on the throne. Now, he began to oppress the children of Israel and they sighed by reason of bondage and they cried and the cry came up to God by reason of bondage. In other words, if that Pharaoh did not oppress the children of Israel such that they cried out unto God because of the oppression and the bondage, everything would have remained the way it was. That's why I said, fuck to there, there's truth in it. It was when a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph came and began to exert upon and to oppress the nation of Israel and said, let's make them fetchers of water and hewers of wood. Then they cried by reason of the bondage and God heard their groanings and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he looked upon the children of Israel, and he had respect unto them. And then the scripture tells us that at that point, he now sent forth Abraham, sorry, Moses, to now go in honor and in respect of the covenant that he had with Abraham. So the minute there is oppression, wrong treatment by people, when you are innocent of any wrongdoing, now God knows this, or you have labored and you have not been adequately remunerated by people. Folks, it's a moment for the inheritance. You must make sure you don't step into bitterness. God is coming in to judge that particular issue. Now, let me also say this here because 
Some Christians say that, well, you know, because I'm born again and I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ, it gives me the right to treat, well, not the right, the liberty, not the right, to treat people anyhow I want to treat them because, you know, I'm under the blood of Jesus. Now, God is a judge. He tells us there in First Thessalonians, he says, let nobody go and defraud his brother in any matter, for God is the avenger of such. God is the judge. Now, the person who is praying should focus on not the punishment that that person is going to receive. That's to God. God will determine what he wants to do. But the repayment that God is going to give you. Now, do you get that? Now, we're still going to get to Luke 18. Because in that prayer in Luke 18, it was about the judicial aspect of God. That the widow there went to meet the unjust judge. Avenge me of my adversary. Which means this oppression that is in my life. And the unjust judge did after some time. Jesus said, would, I, would, would the righteous judge not answer you speedily? In other words, they will tell you that judgment delayed is judgment denied. That if the judgment takes too long, then justice might not be served in even executing the judgment. Speedy judgment is an act of justice. So God says, I will answer you speedily. However, will I find faith when I come? Will the Son of Man? In other words, will I find people that trust in an invisible God to act on their behalf in a matter, to repay them, to restore them, to step into that situation and, and sort it out. Or they feel that, you know, God is in heaven, he's too slow, he doesn't understand, let's go and do it, and then they get into that fight. So it talks about that. So it's when God heard the cries of the groanings of the children of Israel, that's when he came. Until the prayer came, God wasn't going to move. And the reason why we are not seeing this justice is people are not calling upon God in that light. God sets the stage. He allows things to happen. You are cheated by people. He says, now the opportunity has come. Now, it's not a correction in your character flaw. You are cheated by people. The time has now come for you to open up your heart to God in prayer and to call upon him. Now, let me say this here. If you treat somebody who is not a Christian a person and you treat that person wrongly and they call on God and, and you are unapologetic, you don't judge your own self, we'll see this. You, 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 you feel that because you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, it gives you the liberty to do those things and go free. You are mistaken. And you say, well, I, I can't come under any condemnation for there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. All right, we take that. But let me show you certain things. And this is why people, even within the churches, we treat ourselves in certain ways. That even a decent person in the world that understands honor, respect, and courtesy. Now, I'm not talking about the way I'm a pastor, the way you treat the pastor, because everybody oh, says, all right, the Bible says, every man seeks the prince's favor. But it says many seek the prince's favor, but every man's judgment comes from God. We are talking about the judicial aspect, and most of it is in the way you treat people that are weaker than you. People you have power over. 
And so, what happens there is that we need to understand that when you do those things, now this condemnation, the scripture authorizes that your heart condemns you. That's not condemnation. If your heart condemns you on something, it is healthy. That's not what the Bible is saying. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ. That is not what the scripture is saying. I will show you. If we do what is wrong, your heart condemns you. And when your heart condemns you, then you go there and you judge yourself. That's what it means to judge yourself. Your heart has condemned you, so you judge yourself. Now, if your heart condemns you and you don't judge yourself and you harden your heart, that's what it means to silence the condemnation your heart gives to an action. 1 John tells us 3.20, our hearts condemn us. But God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts condemn us not, then we have assurance before God. But there are times the heart condemns you. And if you deal with the condemnation and rectify what the heart is said, then you now come to a place where you are confident before God because you've resolved those issues in your heart. So let me show you what it means quickly. Here, in 1 Corinthians here. Chapter 11 and verse 30. Now it says, For this cause many are weak, sickly among you, and many do sleep for a reason. Then it goes on. For if we will judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So if we judge ourselves, what does it mean to judge yourself? There is self appraise which means your heart has condemned you on the thing, you judge yourself. That's what he said. And you say, This is wrong. So, you did something to a person, and you told the person, I will give you your money back on the 30th of June. And that person depended on your word and made plans concerning that particular thing. And you could not do it. You judged yourself, went to meet the person, apologized for it, and said, this is what happened. Opened up your books and said, this will be my payment plan to make sure you judge yourself. Now, when you don't do that, and you owe the person, you walk away, and you don't judge yourself, as though it doesn't matter. I owe him money, and you greet him, and, and then that person now goes up to God in prayer. That God, I'm not going to badmouth this person. I'm not going to spoil their image. I'm not going to castigate this person. I'm not going to do anything in public to destroy this person. But God, this person is your child under the blood of Jesus. I acknowledge that. But you step in here. After they've come to meet you, you've locked that person in. And he looks at it and says, well, as a believer, I don't want to take another believer to the court and respect the boundaries of scriptures. So was that person left to be frustrated and mad and just to be forgiven? God has a judicial system. He says, bring the matter up to me. You bring the matter up to God. God, because of that, says this person's heart has been right to this person, opens up a massive door for business as a judicial act where that person gets multiple forms of what you are holding back. That's justice. Then he visits that person, who is his child, to correct that character trait. Second thing he will do in that particular person. So he says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. He says, but if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened. Now I want you to understand condemnation. 
what it means to be not to be under condemnation. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be what condemned with the world. So when we don't do the self-judgment and the people now call on God as to what is going on, then God steps in to chastise you. Chastisement means to correct and to remove that character flaw. So certain things begin to happen. And during the time of chastisement is a time of correction. The only way you get out of it is by praying unto God, open my ears, what is going on here? And then God steps in and starts showing you scriptures that pierce your heart concerning that type of behavior. This is God's system. So he judges. So that you will not be condemned. So when he says that in Christ, the condemnation has been removed, what he's talking about here is the condemnation of going to hell. So when Paul saw the deterioration in somebody's character up to a certain point, he said it's better we submit this person's flesh to the devil so that he doesn't come under condemnation and salvation is lost. That's what he's saying here. Many are weak, sick, and many do sleep, which means die prematurely in order for them to avoid the condemned. That's what he's talking about. So your heart not genuine is a very healthy thing. That's why we see it also again in James here. James chapter 5. It says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who reap down your fields is kept back by fraud. Who have reaped down your fields all right, which it by you is kept by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which reaped have entered into the ears of the love of Sabaoth. Which means when people cry, it enters into the ears of God, and God says, I'm coming to judge this thing. But he has to hear that prayer that comes up to him. And when the prayer comes up, it's not a prayer of destruction, it's not a prayer of hate. There's another place where we miss it. They didn't promote you when they were supposed to promote you. You go to God and call fire down on the oppressor. No, it is not Bible. God says this in Colossians chapter 3. All right. He says, servants obey in all things. And verse, verse, verse 22. In all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatsoever you do in the context of serving, Walking in an office, whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. So in the context of that relationship, it says, because this is how all inheritance come. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus. Which means that as you serve there, if you are doing it as unto the Lord and not men, not with eye service, you are treating that business as though it is your own. You are making sure the customers, as though the money was coming directly into your own pocket. It says you can go to God in prayer and God will give you your own inheritance as the reward. And that's the system. But he says, but he that doeth wrong, he's still talking about Christians, shall receive of the wrong which he has done, for God is no respecter of persons. So anybody that does wrong, he says, you will receive of the wrong you have done. Now somebody therefore asks me, well, I've done wrong, I stole stuff in my, in my boss's office, what do I do? Well, I can tell you what you can do. 
All right? First of all, you go to God and confess. And then you confess your sin unto him. And then you confess his word of righteousness. Quickly, let's go to 1 John. People say, well, you know, as a believer, there's no confession. Now let me show you what you do. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are two things. You confess your sin, all right, God forgives that, but then he cleanses you from unrighteousness. The cleansing here is done by the word of God. What do I mean by that? If we look at, all right, if we look at um, um, book of Hebrews here, chapter Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us therefore come with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, that's the blood, and then our bodies washed with pure water. That's that cleansing that happens. Wash me with heat up. That's the cleansing. Your body's washed. What is the water that is different from the blood that cleans the conscience? Ephesians tells us, chapter 5. And verse 26, that he may sanctify us and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That's Rema, spoken word of God. So, you do something wrong, you confess your sin, and then you confess your righteousness, you confess scriptures at the same time, and, and things to cleanse you from that character defect. That's what a person who judges himself does. He confesses it and then confesses his righteousness. So if he used the caustic word, Father, forgive me for doing this, and then he confesses that the blood of the love of Jesus is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. My words are seasoned with grace, ministering grace unto the hearers. No evil speech. He starts, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. All things are he cleanses his soul. From that character defect by the confession of God's word at the same time. Third thing the person does to stay judgment. Become a person who is radical in helping people on the lower ebbs of the ladder. You are, you are, you are radically involved in lifting people up. Let me say that again. That has become your assignment and mission. You study to understand the best. I'm not just saying you throw things here and there to satisfy your conscience. No. You are committed to helping people up. When people are there in trouble, you find out ways in which you can get those people out of trouble. Doing it the right way. Okay? You, 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 you are radically because, you know what? I mean, we gave an example here of, of the Pharaoh. Uh, and what did that Pharaoh do? Uh, the Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And he began to oppress the nation of Israel. And so a Pharaoh came up and they started oppressing the nation of Israel. And that's where the problem of Egypt came. And after some time, the cries and growth. So, really and truly, if you're treating people well on this earth and you're helping people, and that's what God calls wisdom. He said, I've not heard the cry of any poor. I've not heard the cry of any underprivileged. I've not heard the cry come into my heart. No sound has come. And because that sound has not come, the thing is free. 
equity. That's what Daniel told, told Nebuchadnezzar. He said, equity in your dealings, righteousness. That nobody can go to God and say that this person cheated me. Abraham looked at Lot and said, Lot, ah, we will do it in a way that you can't say we cheated you. Isaac looked at it and said, take the well. You can't say we cheated you. And go up to God and deal that way. So it makes you very wise in your interaction with people. You don't make commitments you can't keep. You watch your words. You do not because you get ensnared by your words. You don't make promises. You understand words are contracts. And once you have that, you are helping people and people are praying and, and, and declaring blessings. I mean, Job made a very powerful statement. He said, oh, as in the days past, when, when, when I wa washed my feet in, in butter, when, when your light shone upon my head. You know one of the things he said? He said, I caused the, the blessing, when the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. Do you know what that is? In other words, people, were, people that thought it, they had come to the end of their lives. He helped them out of situations. He, he, he says they were ready to perish. They were, and, and because of that help, they blessed him. That's what it means that Joseph, while he was dying, that person was already dying when they pronounced that blessing there as life came back to them. He said, that was the force that propelled me to greatness. So you create this spiritual capital that lifts you above the ordinary. We've got to stop here because of time. Right? Just say a word of prayer for every single person. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. That you will go deeper with this truth of justice and judgment in their consciousness. And open up their eyes to see the depth of this truth and bring them into alignment with the way and manner in which you do things, that we all might enter into the fullness of this practice and see our lives blossom upon this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You are welcome back and indeed we say thank you to God for his word and may this word be permanent in all of our lives bearing 30, 60 and 100 fold in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to get a copy of today's message or any of our messages from the Covenant Nation, please visit our website www.insightsforliving.org. Go to the e-library section and avail yourself of the so many messages that would bless impact and transform your life if you'd like to know more about our church you can go through the website as well i would love to welcome you if you are new to church today you just stumbled on the services this is your first time to any of our services at the covenant nation you are most welcome we would love to meet you please go to the website www.insightsforliving.org forward slash new to church fill out the information there and we will get back to you Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you.
That's why he says that let none of you in the book of 1 Thessalonians defraud his brother in any matter. That God is an avenger of all such in any matter. And was speaking to Christians, let nobody defraud his brother. Now, when we understand this, the fear of God will be in our hearts. And people will understand that they can place things before God where they feel cheated and oppressed. And God is not talking about the destruction of those people, but he will pay you from heaven. He didn't go and kill Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. That wasn't the point. He paid Joseph. And Joseph rose up to a place where Potiphar and his wife will have had to bow. And Potiphar's wife will have had to confess herself she lied. We need to allow to come into this place. And it's a massive place in faith. I said the resurrection was a judicial action of God. To prove the innocency of Jesus and the false accusation upon his life. That an innocent man was killed. His blood called for him to be lifted up and beyond where he was. So when we look at this, the Bible says, now Pharaoh, in dealing with the nation of Israel, Moses has done stuff, Moses ran away. Okay? And the scripture now says, in verse 23, it came to pass in the process of time. Now understand this. That the king of Egypt died. That's the Pharaoh there died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage and they cried. And their cry came up on to God. Now what had happened was when the king of Egypt died, somewhere else it tells us that a pharaoh that knew not Joseph arose in his stead. We'll see that. So these, the pharaohs that were there, which means for all those hundreds of years after Joseph, the kings had respect to what Joseph did and treated the nation of Israel with respect. And they treated them as people, all right, through whom the wealth came into their land. You remember that, you know, the children of Israel had come in and, 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 and Joseph had given them, the, I mean, children of Israel were, were from the 12 sons of Jacob. He had given them lands. He had done everything, treated them. And every other Pharaoh that came in honored that covenant. Now, this particular king of Egypt, all right, died. And a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph came on the throne. Now, he began to oppress the children of Israel and they sighed by reason of bondage and they cried and the cry came up to God by reason of bondage. In other words, if that Pharaoh did not oppress the children of Israel such that they cried out unto God because of the oppression and the bondage, everything would have remained the way it was. That's why I said, fuck tell there, there's truth in it. It was when a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph came and began to exert upon and to oppress the nation of Israel 
and said, let's make them fetchers of water and hewers of wood. Then they cried by reason of the bondage, and God heard their groanings and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he looked upon the children of Israel, and he had respect unto them. And then the scripture tells us that at that point, he now sends forth Abraham, sorry, Moses, to now go in honor and in respect of the covenant that he had with Abraham. So the minute there is oppression, wrong treatment by people, when you are innocent of any wrongdoing, now God knows this, or you have labored and you have not been adequately remunerated by people. Folks, it's a moment for the inheritance. You must make sure you don't step into bitterness. God is coming in to judge that particular issue. Now, let me also say this here because some Christians say that, well, you know, because I'm born again and I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ, it gives me the right to treat, well, not the right, the liberty, not the right, to treat people anyhow I want to treat them because, you know, I'm under the blood of Jesus. Now, God is a judge. He tells us there in First Thessalonians, he says, Let nobody go and defraud his brother in any matter, for God is the avenger of such. God is the judge. Now, the person who is praying should focus on not the punishment that that person is going to receive. That's to God. God will determine what he wants to do. But the repayment that God is going to give you. Now, do you get that? Now, we're still going to get to look at him. Because in that prayer in Luke 18, it was about the judicial aspect of God. That the widow there went to meet the unjust judge. Avenge me of my adversary. Which means this oppression that is in my life. And the unjust judge did after some time. Jesus said, would, I, would, would the righteous judge not answer you speedily? In other words, they will tell you that judgment delayed is judgment denied. That if the judgment takes too long, then justice might not be served in even executing the judgment. Speedy judgment is an act of justice. So God says, I will answer you speedily. However, will I find faith when I come? Will the Son of Man? In other words, will I find people that trust in an invisible God? To act on their behalf in a matter, to repay them, to restore them, to step into that situation and, and sort it out. Or they feel that, you know, God is in heaven, he's too slow, he doesn't understand, let's go and do it. And then they get into that fight. So it talks about that. So it's when God heard the cries of the groanings of the children of Israel, that's when he came. Until the prayer came, God wasn't going to move. And the reason why we are not seeing this justice is people are not calling upon God in that light. God sets the stage. He allows things to happen. 
you are cheated by people. He says, now the opportunity has come. Now, it's not a correction in your character flaw. You are cheated by people. The time has now come for you to open up your heart to God in prayer and to call upon him. Now, let me say this here. If you treat somebody who is not a Christian a person and you treat that person wrongly and they call on God and, and you are unapologetic, you don't judge your own self, we'll see this. You, 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 you feel that because you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, it gives you the liberty to do those things and go free. You are mistaken. And you say, well, I, I can't come under any condemnation for there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. All right, we take that. But let me show you certain things. And this is why people, even within the churches, we treat ourselves in certain ways. That even a decent person in the world that understands honor, respect, and courtesy. Now, I'm not talking about the way I'm a pastor, the way you treat the pastor, because everybody oh, says, all right, the Bible says every man seeks the prince's favor. But it says many seek the prince's favor, but every man's judgment comes from God. We are talking about the judicial aspect, and most of it is in the way you treat people that are weaker than you. People you have power over. And so, what happens there is that we need to understand that when you do those things, now this condemnation, the scripture authorizes that your heart condemns you. That's not condemnation. If your heart condemns you on something, it is healthy. That's not what the Bible is saying. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ. That is not what the scripture is saying. I will show you. If we do what is wrong, your heart condemns you. And when your heart condemns you, then you go there and you judge yourself. That's what it means to judge yourself. Your heart has condemned you, so you judge yourself. Now, if your heart condemns you and you don't judge yourself and you harden your heart, that's what it means to silence the condemnation your heart gives to an action. First John tells us 3.20, our hearts condemn us. But God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts condemn us not, then we have assurance before God. But there are times the heart condemns you. And if you deal with the condemnation and rectify what the heart is said, then you now come to a place where you are confident before God because you've resolved those issues in your heart. So let me show you what it means quickly. Here, in 1 Corinthians here, chapter 11 and verse 30. Now it says, For this cause many are weak, sickly among you, and many do sleep. For a reason. Then it goes on. For if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. So if we judge ourselves, what does it mean to judge yourself? There is self-appraise, which means your heart has condemned you on the thing, you judge yourself. That's what he said. And you say, this is wrong. So you did something to a person. And you told the person, I will give you your money back on the 30th of June. And that person dependent on your word and made plans concerning that particular thing. And you could not do it. You judged yourself, went to meet the person, apologized for it and said, this is what happened. Opened up your books and said, this will be my payment plan to make sure you judge yourself. Now, when you don't do that and you 
all the person and you walk away and you don't judge yourself as though it doesn't matter i owe him money and you greet him and and then that person now goes up to god in prayer that God, I'm not going to badmouth this person. I'm not going to spoil their image. I'm not going to castigate this person. I'm not going to do anything in public to destroy this person. But God, this person is your child under the blood of Jesus. I acknowledge that. But you step in here. After they've come to meet you, you've locked that person in. And he looks at it and says, well, as a believer, I don't want to take another believer to the court. And respect the boundaries of scriptures. So was that person left to be frustrated and mad? And just to be forgiven? God has a judicial system. He says, bring the matter up to me. You bring the matter up to God. God, because of that, says this person's heart has been right to this person. Opens up a massive door for business as a judicial act. Where that person gets multiple forms of what you are holding back. That's justice. Then he visits that person, who is his child, to correct that character trait. Second thing he will do in that particular person. So he says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. He says, but if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened. Now I want you to understand condemnation. What it means to be not to be under condemnation. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be what? Condemned with the world. So when we don't do the self-judgment and the people now call on God as to what is going on, then God steps in to chastise you. Chastisement means to correct and to remove that character flaw. So certain things begin to happen. And during the time of chastisement is a time of correction. The only way you get out of it is by praying unto God, open my ears, what is going on here? And then God steps in and starts showing you scriptures that pierce your heart concerning that type of behavior. This is God's system. So he judges. So that you will not be condemned. So when he says that in Christ, the condemnation has been removed, what he's talking about here is the condemnation of going to hell. So when Paul saw the deterioration in somebody's character up to a certain point, he said it's better we submit this person's flesh to the devil so that he doesn't come under condemnation and salvation is lost. That's what he's saying here. Many are weak, sick, and many do sleep. Which means die prematurely in order for them to avoid the condemn. That's what he's talking about. So, your heart nudging you is a very healthy thing. That's why we see it also again in James here. James chapter 5. It says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who reap down your fields is kept back by fraud. Who have reaped down your fields... All right, which it by you is kept by fraud, crieth and the cries of them which reaped have entered into the ears of the love of Sabbath. Which means when people cry, it enters into the ears of God, and God says, I'm coming to judge this thing. But he has to hear that prayer that comes up to him. And when the prayer comes up, it's not a prayer of destruction, it's not a prayer of hate. There's another place where we miss it. They didn't promote you when they were supposed to promote you. You go to God and call fire down on the oppressor. No, it is not Bible. God says this in Colossians chapter 3 
All right. It says, servants obey in all things. And verse, verse, verse 22, in all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatsoever you do in the context of serving, working in an office, whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. So in the context of that relationship, it says, because this is how all inheritance come. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus. Which means that as you serve there, if you are doing it as unto the Lord and not men, not with eye service, you are treating that business as though it is your own. You are making sure the customers as though the money was coming directly into your own pocket. It says you can go to God in prayer and God will give you your own inheritance as the reward. And that's the system. But he says, but he that doeth wrong, he's still talking about Christians, shall receive of the wrong which he has done, for God is no respecter of persons. So, anybody that does wrong, he says, you will receive of the wrong you have done. Now, somebody therefore asks me, well, I've done wrong, I stole stuff in my, in my boss's office, what do I do? Well, I can tell you what you can do. All right, first of all, you go to God and confess. And then you confess your sin unto him, and then you confess his word of righteousness. Quickly, let's go to 1 John. People say, well, you know, as a believer, there's no confession. No, no, let me show you what you do. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are two things. You confess your sin, all right, God forgives that, but then he cleanses you from unrighteousness. The cleansing here is done by the word of God. What do I mean by that? If we look at, all right, if we look at um, um, book of Hebrews here, chapter, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us therefore come with a true heart and the full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, that's the blood, and then our bodies washed with pure water. That's that cleansing that happens. Wash me with heat up. That's the cleansing. Your body's washed. What is the water that is different from the blood that cleans the conscience? Ephesians tells us, chapter 5 and verse 26, that it may sanctify us and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That's Rema, spoken word of God. So, you do something wrong, you confess your sin, and then you confess your righteousness, you confess scriptures at the same time, and, and things to cleanse you from that character defect. That's what a person who judges himself does. He confesses it, and then confesses his righteousness. So, if he used the caustic word, Father, forgive me for doing this. And then he confesses that the blood of the love of Jesus is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. My words are seasoned with grace, ministering grace unto the hearers. No evil speech. He starts, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. All things are. He cleanses his soul from that character defect by the confession of God's word at the same time. Third thing the person does to stay judgment, become a person who 
is radical in helping people on the lower ebbs of the ladder. You are, you, are, you are radically involved in lifting people up. Let me say that again. That has become your assignment and mission. You study to understand the best. I'm not just saying you throw things here and there to satisfy your conscience. No. You are committed to helping people up. When people are there in trouble, you find out ways in which you can get those people out of trouble. Doing it the right way, okay? You, 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 you are radically, because, you know what? I mean, we gave an example here of, of the Pharaoh. Uh, and what did that Pharaoh do? Uh, the Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And he began to oppress the nation of Israel. And so a Pharaoh came up. And they started oppressing the nation of Israel. And that's where the problem of Egypt came. And after some time, the cries and growth. So, really and truly, if you're treating people well on this earth, and you're helping people, and that's what God calls wisdom. He said, I've not heard the cry of any poor. I've not heard the cry of any underprivileged. I've not heard the cry come into my heart. No sound has come. And because that sound has not come, the thing is free. Equity. That's what Daniel told, told Nebuchadnezzar. He said, equity in your dealings. Righteousness. That nobody can go to God and say that this person cheated me. Abraham looked at Lot and said, Lot, ah, we will do it in a way that you can't say we cheated you. Isaac looked at it and said, take the well. You can't say we cheated you. And go up to God and deal that way. So it makes you very wise in your interaction with people. You don't make commitments you can't keep. You watch your words. You do not because you get ensnared by your words. You don't make promises. You understand words are contracts. And once you have that, you are helping people and people are praying and, and, and declaring blessings. I mean, Job made a very powerful statement. He said, oh, as in the days past, when, when, when I wa washed my feet in, in butter, when, when your light shone upon my head. You know one of the things he said? He said, I caused the, the blessing, when the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. Do you know what that is? In other words, people were people that thought it would come to the end of their lives. He helped them out of situations. He 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 says they were ready to perish. They were and and because of that help, they blessed him. That's what it means that Joseph, while he was dying, that person was already dying when they pronounced that blessing there as life came back to them. He said that was the force that propelled me to greatness. So you create this spiritual capital that lifts you above the ordinary. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you.
Welcome to our Saturday teaching session. Um, we want to thank God that we have this opportunity to be able to minister unto you in your private spaces and to be able to bring God's word to you today. Uh, today we'll be continuing our discourse on the subject of justice and judgment, something that is paramount uh, something that is most important in the heart of God. Uh, the Bible tells us that his throne is established upon justice and judgment. That means it's built. That, what, what that really means is if you can find in just one singular act anywhere where God was unjust in making a decision, where the path of justice was violated, where fairness and and he did not stand with truth fairness there and justice equity there he says the throne of god will cease to exist so god is a god of justice his throne is established upon justice and on judgment and we've been looking at this that we saw that in the life of abraham that God said concerning Abraham that I know that Abraham is going to become a great nation and he said all families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So God said he wasn't going to hide what he was going to do from Abraham seeing that Abraham was going to become such a massive and great nation. And the reason why he said I know him that he will keep my way and instruct or teach his children and his entire household to keep the way of the Lord, which is to do justice and judgment in all of their doings. So one of the things that Abraham, he says that I might be able to bring upon him that which I have spoken concerning him. So God says by Abraham practicing justice there in his dealings with his fellow man, in his interaction there, that he followed that path of justice there diligently followed he said through that i'll be able to bring into his life everything that i have spoken concerning him so this is so important in our work of faith and we'll find out that it was in the midst of abraham dealing with people that god was able to open up doors uh, when he was going to open up sarah's womb there was something that happened between him and the king at that particular time, Abimelech, and God had shot all the womb, all right, of Abimelech's house, including even the animals. And then he now asked Abimelech to go over to meet Abraham to pray for him in order for there to be restoration. And it was at that point that God now had a room to do the same into the life of Abraham and to open up Sarah's womb. We have situations where there was some conflict between him and um, Lot. And we saw the way in which Abraham dealt with that particular situation. Uh, and God said to Abraham there, after Lot had separated and he had dealt with it and taken the 
most honorable path. God said, lift up your eyes. So we'll find in the interaction of people, one with another, uh, as people follow the path of God and look to God in heaven as their judge. We said God is the judge, God is the lawgiver, and God also is the king. Now, many of us, you know, believe God and confess his word and want to see that kingly anointed in the demonstration of power on the outside. I want to see us reign in life as kings and priests. But there is something right in between, and it's understanding the judicial system of God. And this will go a long way into how we relate with one another and how we conduct our affairs. It's go to the place of understanding what Jesus talked about, the weightier matters of the law. And he said it's justice, it's mercy, and it's faithfulness there, or fidelity there. And so we're beginning to understand that these things are very important. You can have the step-by-step -step approach to faith, but if this is not embedded in the practice of justice and judgment, then what will happen is that you'll put in all the mechanical principles, but then you come to a place where you can work in unforgiveness, you can treat people in a certain way, and hinder, which means the answer to your prayers, when the word is returning to you with the result, the way and manner in which you treated people uh, holds back that answer of through your prayers and, and stops or closes all the entry points that God could have into the life of a person. Now, if you look at First Peter chapter 2, I want to say this here and look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Peter here and chapter 2. I want to say the resurrection of Jesus and see that it was a judicial action that was carried out. Uh, the power of God was released. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you start reading from verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. In other words, don't just behave this way to the ones that are good and gentle. Do it to the ones that are nasty. Do it to the ones that don't seem to even treat you right. It says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongly. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your fault, you take it patiently. Now, so he says, if you are making mistakes, if it's for your own fault, that you are being buffeted, that you are being corrected, that it looks like, you know, they are, they are harassing me, but it has to do with your fault, that that corrective measure is put he said, take it patiently, and he tells us that. It says, all right, you should take it patiently uh, for your own fault. It says, but if, when, that there's no glory really in that. That's just correction, and take that. But it says, but if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. In other words, you have done well. So this is just an act of oppression here. It says, and you respond patiently to it. It tells us this is acceptable unto God. That's when people treat you wrongly, that you still respond to them in a certain way. It's an acceptable sacrifice that goes up to God. Now, why is this? For even hereunto ye were called. Were ye called? So we were called for... A, a, for such a time as that, when people treat you wrong, when you have put in the work, when you have done everything that you should do, 
and you are suffering for that particular well-doing. It says, for unto this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his footsteps. So he's left an example that you have done everything right, and now people begin to treat you in a certain way. It says, these are the footsteps that we should follow. That the scripture says, who when he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So when Jesus Christ, all right, the scripture is saying here, he suffered when they took him to the cross. He was innocent of every wrongdoing. He didn't threaten. He didn't go back into, I want to kill railings against railings, but he committed himself. And this is what we're speaking about in this particular um, service here. That Jesus committed himself to God as a judge who judges righteously. So it was a judicial act of God that an innocent man has been placed on the cross and he has been crucified for something that he did not do. He was an innocent lamb that was placed upon that cross. God said, justice demands that I raise him up, not just back to life, but to an exalted position on this earth. Now, that's why Jesus said, when men speak evil of you, cast you out of their own company and treat you wrongly, not for anything that you did. Now, if you did something and people treated you in a certain way, he says, take it and understand that you are being buffeted for your own fault. And that should produce correction there. There is no glory in that. That somebody is correcting you for bad behavior, all right, is not going to bring any exaltation into your life. You humble yourself under that correction and it becomes beneficial unto you in future because that's not persecution. I and mean, the scripture tells us that we should keep no company with certain types of people if we are Christians. So if people obey that scripture, that's not rejection. But when they, after you have done right, now this is a moment of destiny in your life. It's a moment, as we say there, of truth. It's a curious moment. And you mustn't miss it. And you must respond correctly to what is going on. It tells us here that whereunto you have been called, that because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you did well and you suffer for it. Leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Who did no sin, nor guile found in his mouth. In other words, he didn't start speaking back. He didn't start, you know, trying to destroy them. He didn't want to win the argument. He took the issue and put it in the hands of God who judges things righteously. Who judges things, all right, as he is supposed to, he knows every, no other human being on this earth. Even if you hear four sides of the story, nobody has the details like God. He sees the intent of the heart. He knows the thoughts. He knows the motives. He knows the weaknesses. 
So he is the only one that can judge righteously. So you take the matter and you commit it into the hands of God. Now I want to show that God is very speedy. And he is a judge. Now there are prayers we might offer up unto God for things. But then there is this judicial aspect of God's nature that the church is not really putting their trust in him for the fulfillment of that ministry within their lives. And we're saying the resurrection of Jesus was a judicial act. It was God judging a man who was innocent of all things and say, here is my judgment on this crucifixion of Jesus, on this rejection of Jesus, on this throwing stones on Jesus, here is my judgment. He was crucified in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Sin of angels. So he says this. He committed himself unto him that was going to judge that particular situation righteously. And the judgment of God came and he was promoted. Joseph did not do anything to his brothers. There was no guile. There was no ill will towards them. He didn't hurt or harm them. Joseph was taken and God, when Joseph looked up to God, and Joseph turned to God and said, God, you have to judge this thing. When Potiphar's wife lied on him, God came in that judicial, and Joseph probably was still, you know, doing all kinds of things until he finally realized that I'm going to get into the position where I'm supposed to be by judicial act of God in settling the things that have happened in my life. How so great opportunities we throw away. I'm coming somewhere with this. Because it tells us here, it says, but if you do well, all right, and you suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable unto God. Then it goes and tells us, for this is what we've been called unto. He was rather rather not again when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself unto God that judges righteously. Now, if we go to chapter 3 here, and we look at verse 8, it says, Finally, my brethren, be of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering, it goes again and says there is evil for evil. So you are in that situation. This is such a precious moment. Every form of exaltation in your life, supernatural lifting, will come as a result of you in the midst of people, you doing what was right. You not being rewarded by man, but even on top of that, being either falsely accused, being persecuted, and instead of you fighting back, in the flesh, in your natural way, and wanting to put out and correct the perception that it has created, you take it to God. Now, in the scripture, if it's for your fault you are buffeted, then take it that God is correcting me. There's an arrangement there with God. All right? But when it's a question of you are being treated and you put in, and let's say you invested in people, they walked out, they're saying nasty things about you. He says, follow this, not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but on the contrary blessing, for thereunto ye are called. Peter says a second time. This is what you're called to. 
You are in the kingdom for such a time, for that moment, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him in that situation refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. It's a powerful moment in your life. Let him ensure evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. What you begin to pray at that moment, you start having breakthroughs. Hebrews here, chapter 12. Now it says that this is the same thing of follow peace. Verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You can seize that responder of ensue peace. Follow it that we saw in 1 Peter. That's what he's talking about here. In 1 Peter, let's look at it again, and chapter 3. Because it's a moment here. He says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, but on the contrary, wise blessing. It says, for thereunto you are called. And then it says, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue for evil. And this, let him ensure evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it, for the eyes of the Lord are over. So he's talking about that particular situation. So when we get to Hebrews 12, it goes on and says this. It tells us in Hebrews 12 here, Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lame be turned out of the way, but rather, rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness during that time rise up on the inside of you towards the people. And he says, spring up, thereby many be defiled. And you use that bitterness for what people have done to you to defile many with the words. You are missing out on an opportunity for a judicial action from God to bring about resurrection in your life. That you will be raised to a point where those folks will be where you are now. Your life will be completely inaccessible unto them. That's why it says the stone the builders rejected has become a chief cornerstone. It is the doing of the Lord. Marvelous in our eyes. So we must know that moment. And what's happening, Lord, in the church is, instead of people turning to the judicial system of God, when they are undergoing forms of oppression, within, now I'm talking about between themselves now, and they're going through any form of oppression, turning to that judicial system. We take, as it were, into our own hands. Start speaking evil. Start throwing stones. Reveling for reveling. Accusation. And wanting to win the argument and win the public perception. Leave the public to God. He will raise you to a point where it will settle the matter if you will allow him to come in. So he says this. I'm not saying... You know, you, you just, oh, it's an act of weakness. You forgive and you walk the way you are beaten and battered. No. Forgiveness and doing the right thing opens up the door for God to be able to step into that situation and in a judicial act. As it tells us in the book of Psalms, they rode upon our heads. But by that, God brought us into a broad and wealthy place where we knew no scarceness. So it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail, lest any root of bitterness springing up, thereby many be defiled. Lest there be a fornicator or a profane person. Now that begins to lead to all kinds of misbehavior. Who for a muscle of meat sold his birthright. 
Now, so he's saying in the midst of that, that's where people sell their birthright. Birthrights there doesn't mean your right to be a member of that family, though. They're talk, speaking here about the rights of the firstborn, the one who will inherit or who is going to enter into the inheritance of the family, who is going to inherit the blessing. Remember, he says, oh, thereunto you are called that you may inherit a blessing. So in the midst of all of that, there is a blessing to be inherited. So he comes here and says, for you know that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Now, what is telling us about Esau was he was a bloody man. You're told that he hits you back. He wasn't a person that followed the path of peace and followed that judicial system of God. We saw that Jacob followed God's judicial system even when he was cheated. You could see how he took it patiently, committed it unto God, and God came through. So in Luke chapter 18, it's speaking about prayer that is offered up when there is oppression on the earth and a lack of justice. The prayer that is offered up when there is oppression and there is lack of justice. It says a widow, which shows somebody that didn't have as much power, went to meet an unjust judge and said, avenge me of my adversary. In other words, what she was praying about was likely something like this in First Peter here, chapter 2, when it tells us about the fact that, it talks about the fact that servants be subject to your masters with fear, not only to the good and gentle, but to the forward. So you are dealing with a very oppressive person. A person, and let me warn as a Christian, take oppression of people out of your heart. The use of power to oppress and to suppress people is something that once their cry comes into the ears of God, God is going to rise up. That throne of his is founded upon justice. You know, let me show you this. I'll come back to this. There's a story, and, and you, you know, the, the Jews say it among their family as to the power of generosity. And I wish I could get into the real depth of this thing and show the, the different sides of God's wisdom. But they will tell this story about generosity. And in it, they said that God told Moses that Moses went to meet God and he told God that, you know, 400 years is about to be complete. Uh, the word, prophetic word you gave to Abraham was 400 years. Now we are close to the 400 year, 400th year. What's going on? All right? It's past now because it took 430 years for them to come out. So within the 30 years that Moses was talking to God and God said, you know, Pharaoh does something. Even though my judgment should come upon him, Pharaoh does something. He has spread his table and he feeds my people and... The amount of animals he slaughters every day just to keep the nation and the Jewish people in, in fed, clothed, and helped is such that I will have to, because the, these people are praying unto me, and it's through the hands of Pharaoh I am answering their prayer. So I will not be able to judge him. That judgment is hanging. 
unless he is provoked to now start to oppress the nation of Israel, then their cry can come before me and I can, in a judicial act, remove Pharaoh from that place or bring about the fulfillment of my word. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.